0: Thank you for listening to the Pursuit Church podcast. This is more than a podcast. Pursuit Church is a movement to connect to Jesus and make a difference. If you need prayer or would like to financially support our mission, reach out to us online at PursuitChurchSA.com. Now grab your headphones and get ready to dive into this week's message. Morning. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you guys. What a beautiful day. I mean, it might not be cold, but it's not 95 or 100, Right. I mean, we're going to kind of shift into the holiday season spirit, right? I mean, here we are. We're in the second to last month of the year, right? Like, where did the year go? Am I the only one that thinks it just flew out the window? We're in almost to the end of the year. And this is the month where Thanksgiving happens. And if y'all don't know me very well, I don't like to cook. I know how to cook. I don't enjoy cooking. I actually Told Pastor Bob years ago, I'm retired from cooking. I refuse to do that any longer. It's just me and him. The kids are grown. They're out of the house. Who am I going to cook for? Just me and him. It's too much trouble. It's too much work. It's too much. And I don't, I think it's not the cooking I don't like. Now, I'm not gonna get off topic here, y'all, but it's not the cooking I don't like. It's the cleanup and it's, it's the prep. You know, when you cook a meal, you gotta prep. You gotta think about that. What are you gonna, what ingredients do you That's too much work. But at this time of the year, there's only a few times a year that I will actually put together a meal. Like a full course, bunch of course meal. And Thanksgiving happens to be one of those times of the year. So I love Thanksgiving. They to, uh, you like Thanksgiving because I actually cook you a home-cooked meal, huh? <laughs> but, I mean, you know, y'all don't judge me for that, all right? I, I had years of that, all right? I used to make homemade tortillas, okay? So y'all don't know the work that goes into that. But anyway, Thanksgiving is the time of the year where, you know, we tend to get together as family and with our friends to just kind of reflect over the past year and, and the goodness of God, you know, and how good he's been to us and the blessings that he's given us, right? And, you know, there's this thing now, it's kind of recent, it's this Friendsgiving trend, I don't know where it came from. It's like out of the blue. But that's where, like on, you know, get together at Thanksgiving only, you don't invite your family. You invite your friends, right? I get that. I can understand the logic behind that. You know, Friendsgiving, you don't... You know, some people, I don't know, you might have families that are a little bit, you know, crazy. Like generational crazy. So you don't really want to fool around with that. I get that. So you have Friendsgiving. You invite people over that you really like. It's okay. No judgment there. I mean, because I had a crazy family. But anyway... And then the other thing is you, you might just, you know, want to get, maybe you, maybe you don't live near your family. So you invite your friends over and you celebrate Thanksgiving that way. That's a really cool thing to do. But this is the time of the year when we spend some time reflecting and just thanking God for our blessings, right? That's typically what we do. And as you reflect over just how much you've been given, that's when our hearts kind of get a little generous, you know, you kind of start thinking, I want to share. I want to I want to give. And, it, you know, in the nonprofit world, November kicks off what they consider the giving season. I used to work for the United Way back in the day when I first, you know, finished college. And, you know, you, you have this thing in the um, nonprofit world where you really see an uptick in giving. Volunteerism and donations increase in November. And I think it's because people kind of get this generous spirit about them. But the thing is, by January it just kind of trickles off. Well, why is that? Why is that? Have you ever thought about that? Maybe you haven't, but I want us to think about that. I think it's because there's a difference between an act of generosity and an attitude of generosity. Let me pray for us before I get started. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for the change in seasons. It's a new beginning. It's like a do-over, Lord. I thank you for that. And I pray, Father, that every heart here will just see the beauty in the fall that you've given us. And, Lord, I thank you for your presence here. Your presence is so tangible in this room. And I just thank you for that, God. We love you so much. And, Lord, I know you're going to do a work in our hearts to change every single one of us from the inside out by the power of your word. Because your word, God, your word's the only thing that can change a heart. And, Father, I just pray right now that you speak through me. I surrender my mind, my will, my vocal cords, the very breath of my lungs. I surrender it to you, Lord. And I ask you to push me out of the way and speak through me. And let the words that I speak be encouraging and uplifting and straight from you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, the Christ, our Messiah, our Savior. Amen. Amen. I'm kind of battling a little allergies <laughs> That's what I get for calling it Algero. Allergies. And so I'm going to need a lot of this this morning. So y'all gonna give me a little grace on it. Okay. Got to have a lot of water breaks this morning. All right. So we serve a God who's generous. Y'all know that, right? Y'all know our God is a generous God. I mean, John three sixteen says that he gave, he gave us his only son, Jesus Christ, so that we would have an atonement, a ransom for our own sins. God gave us his only son. That's generosity. Not only that, he gave us this beautiful world we live in. You know, there might be a lot of things wrong with the world, but there's way more things right with the world. God gave us this world. He gave us this world to live in and to thrive in. And Psalm 68, 6 is one of my favorite verses. It's one of my favorite. I always say that, right? But it's a really beautiful verse in the Bible. Psalm 68, 6. And it says that God sets the lonely in families. God gave us families, whether they're blood doesn't matter, but he sets people in families. He gives us that he gives us families, community, and he also gives us the ability to gain income. That's what Deuteronomy 818 says. All these things God gives us. He gives us because he's generous. That's who he is. Everything we have is because of God's generosity. It's his generosity. It's not something we earned not something we did. God generously gives. He gives us. And you know, that's true. Whether you believe in God or not, that's a fact. That's the truth. It's the truth with a capital T. So this month, as we're all kind of preparing and, and getting ready for the holidays, we want to talk about blessings and generosity. We're calling this November series. He did that. We do this. Sometimes we just need a little help remembering the goodness of God, remembering what true blessings and generosity look like. We want to learn to be generous like Jesus. That's the goal. Not our own concept of generosity. No, no, no. Generous like Jesus. You know, have you ever been to one of those restaurants where I'm pretty sure everybody has, you know, those restaurants where they have these big breakfast menus, right? Pretty much. That's all they serve is breakfast. But kind of like, um, there's this place I like to go to snooze. It has like breakfast menus and those kind of restaurants, like I hopper Denny's where they have huge spreads and you can order eggs this way and eggs that way. And, and sausage and biscuit and uh, what you call it, ham and bacon, all these big breakfast items that involve a chicken and a pig. Well, which one do you think was more committed to that breakfast, the chicken or the pig? It's kind of a philosophical question. If you look at it, the chicken gave up her eggs, but the pig, he gave up his life for that breakfast. That's commitment. The level of our generosity is tied to our level of commitment to being generous because look, Acts of generosity, they start in the mind. Yeah. Well, that's a good idea. I'll do that. But an attitude of generosity that lives in our hearts. I'll say that again. That's good. Come on. Individual acts of generosity are good. They're also limited. Right. They only go so far and they only last so long. Amen. But an attitude of generosity that isn't bound by time or circumstances, y'all. That's right. An attitude of generosity Sees a need and fills it. It's a deeper commitment. That's That's really An attitude of generosity starts in the mind, but it goes much deeper than that. It goes deep down into our hearts. Amen. And blessings. Anytime we receive or give a blessing, it's a direct result of generosity in one of those two forms. So yeah. How many people here would say you're blessed? Raise your hands. It's a participatory Sunday. Raise your hands. You're blessed. You believe you're blessed, right? Okay. How many people here would love to be more blessed? Raise your hands. Good. This is great. I'm about to switch my message now. This is good. (laughs) Let me ask you this, though. When I first asked those questions, did it make you feel some kind of way? like, Like, just some kind of way? I think it's because we think of generosity and blessings as being something tangible, Something we can see or we can touch. And if that's the way you see it, you're not alone. We all tend to think of it like that. But today, I want us to shift our thinking. Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 11, 24, and 25. And then I want you to mark that spot. See, y'all should have brought paper Bibles so you could mark a spot with a paper Bible. <laughs> Can't do that on your phone. All right, now turn to Acts, 30, I mean, Acts 20, 35. Acts twenty thirty five and we're going to start with that first. Acts twenty thirty five says, have y'all found it yet? It's, oh New Testament? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts twenty thirty five says, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with that term, right? It's more blessed to give than to receive. We probably all heard that at one point or another. Well, that's where it came from. Jesus said it. Jesus said that. It came from the Bible. And let me just give you a little background about the specific scripture here that I want to talk about. The book of Acts is basically detailing a blueprint for the first church. Okay. The church after the resurrection of Jesus, he told his disciples, I want you to go out and I want you to basically spread the word plant churches. It was, it's called the great commission. Okay. And he gave them this commission. And one of the first church plants along the way was in the region of Ephesus. That's over in the middle East Turkey, actually Ephesus. And in this passage, the apostle Paul is speaking to the leaders in the church of Ephesus. See, they'd been dealing with some stuff. You know, it, you've been around church a while. You're going to deal with some stuff, okay? It's the way it is. You know, there's, we're all broken people. And let me tell you something right now. Let me just clarify all of this for anybody who's wondering. The church is not a museum where pretty things sit around and they get dusted and nobody touches it. No, no, no. The church is a hospital for the sick and the hurting. And every single one of us in here needs some kind of healing for something. I'm the first one. I'll be the first one to stand in line and say, Jesus, please heal me of this. There's stuff in the church. There's always some kind of something in the church. When you put people together, there's going to be some kind of something. I mean, I love my husband, but man, sometimes he rubs me wrong. There's always something. And see, and this is what was going on in the church of Ephesus. So Paul tells the elders of the church, look, I came here to encourage you guys because things are going to get a little bit harder. And I want you to be encouraged. I want you to stay in the fight. We all need encouragement, y'all. That's why we got to come to church and build relationships with other believers. Because let me tell you something. The devil is always looking for a way to come at you. And he's always looking for a way to stop whatever God's trying to do in your life. It's nothing new. It happened back then. And these pastors and leaders in the church of Ephesus had been working so hard to build a church. And they just kept running into all these issues and these problems can be discouraging, can be very discouraging. But you know what? That's the way it is. Every time you try to step out and live your life for Jesus, do something for God, serve, volunteer, whatever, something happens, right? That's That's the enemy, y'all. The devil isn't going to sit back and say, oh, okay, he gave his life to Jesus. Let's, let's just move on. Let's go find somebody else to mess with. Uh, Uh-uh. That's not the way he works. As a matter of fact, kind of puts a target on your back the minute you become a Christian because God has a plan and purpose for your life. There's something you're supposed to be doing, and the devil is going to do everything he can to prevent that from happening. So this is nothing new. The devil's not going to get up. He's not going to give up. He's going to keep on hitting you and coming at you because he's trying to suck you back into a life of torment, despair, and defeat. And this is why you come to church, you get involved, you get rooted and planted. You don't pull those roots up. A tree doesn't grow if you keep transplanting it. You plant those roots. You stay planted. You work things out. We're all human. We all got different opinions, different attitudes. Some different attitudes. I got different attitudes in my family, just among my children. We got to learn to get along. I'm getting off the topic here. Lord, have mercy. Let me get back. You stay planted in a community because here's the thing. We need to encourage each other. We need to pray for each other. We need to be strong together. A threefold cord is not easily broken. That's That's what Ecclesiastes says. We need to have each other's back. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul was encouraging the elders of the church to keep fighting. He wanted them to be prepared. That's why you come here on Sunday. So you can learn to be prepared to face whatever the enemy is going to throw at you. And he was telling these elders, keep working hard. Keep helping people. Keep leading them to Jesus because they would eventually see for themselves that it really is more blessed to give than to receive. So what does that mean? What does that even mean? It's more blessed to give and receive. You know, you're giving something away. I don't know how that's better. Go to the passage in Proverbs earlier that I told you to mark. Proverbs 11. Proverbs eleven twenty-four 24, and 25. And this is what it says. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly. Now, I want to stop. This isn't in my notes, but when I was reading through this on the way over here, it's like God put this in my heart. That word unduly. Another person withholds unduly, which means you have to give. You have something to give. You just don't want to do it. That person comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. That's your answer. That's why it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's your answer. It's called the law of the harvest. Sowing and reaping what we give to others. God's going to make sure it comes back to us. Now, it might not come from who we gave it to. Don't start looking for that. No, that'll mess you up real fast. If you start giving something to somebody, you start sowing into somebody, you start encouraging them and thinking they're going to give it back to you. Don't wait for that. They may not be the one that God sent to give that back to you. Don't waste your time on that because that'll get you discouraged real fast. But you keep on sowing because what you sow into others, God will make sure you get back. And not only get back, get back double. That's what his word says. Double. God's all about excess. He's not about, oh, just a little bit here, a little bit. No, 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 no. He owns it all. God owns the cattle in a thousand hills. That's what his word says. Get in the word and learn what it says about him. He is generous. He owns it all. And he's just looking for someone to bless. That's what the word of God says, y'all. So give. You have enough. You have enough. What's in your hand? That's what he asked Moses. What's in your hand? You got something to give. We all have something to give. Every single person in this room has been created, number one, in the image of God. And God's creative, right? Yes. That means you've got some ideas in here that you ain't not even thought about. You have something to give. Yeah. Just your presence matters. Right. When you show up to church on a Sunday, let me just get off my notes and preach here. When you show up to church on Sundays, that matters. Man, y'all, that is such an encouragement to us. Yeah. It's an encouragement to the worship team. Yeah. It's an encouragement to other people. Yeah. Showing up in God's house really matters. Yeah. Not only that, it's an opportunity for us to talk to each other, to to pray for each other, to hang out, to get to know each other, to help encourage each other. That's the whole point of it. So you do have something to give. But here's the other side of that. What we withhold, it'll be withheld from us. So here's the deal. You're generous with your blessings. You're stingy with your curses. Think of it like that. Luke 638. I know y'all know this scripture. If you've been in church for any kind of time, you've heard this. It says, give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It will be poured, poured all everywhere into your lap for the measure you use. It will be measured to you. Now, in this context, he was talking about judgment, but it goes for anything. Anything, whatever you give, it's going to come back to you minimum and the measure you gave with. This is why at some point we have to grow from acts of generosity into an attitude of generosity. And the way to do that is to look at Jesus and how he lived his life. The first and main reason Jesus came. Was what to forgive us, to be a ransom for our sins, to forgive us for our sins and to set us free, free from what free from what free from bondage in our hearts and in our minds, y'all bondage. He came to forgive us and set us free from chains of bondage. And one of the biggest things that holds a lot of people in bondage is a poverty mentality. A poverty mentality is not just about money, y'all. It's about lack. Lack. Deficiency. And you know what? It's a stronghold. It's a stronghold in the mind that says we can't give up anything because then there's not going to be enough left over for ourselves. Jesus came to show us that that is a lie. His life and death on that cross is a prime example of showing us that's a lie. Notice Jesus came to show us that's a lie. And that's why we got to stay focused on him. He's always showing us something. If we're looking at him, we're going to see it. A poverty mentality is deadly. Y'all it's lethal. It's meant to kill your dreams. I don't have enough. I can't go do that. Hello. It's meant to destroy your relationships. I'm not good enough. I'm just going to go over here. (laughs) And you know what? It's meant to take away your life. A poverty mentality is lethal. It says we got to look out for ourselves because nobody else is going to do it. So we strive, we manipulate, we try to figure things out. We don't trust nobody. We don't even trust God because we're trying to protect ourselves and what we have. A poverty mentality is lethal because it blocks your blessings is a big fat roadblock. At the heart of it is greed, but that's a whole nother message. When we hold on to things, refusing to be generous with others, that keeps us from receiving more. Think about it. If you're holding on to something so tight, you just can't let go of it. Can't put anything else in your hand. You can't receive anything else. A poverty mentality will lead you to hold on to things in your heart because you're afraid to let them go. And one of those things that we tend to not want to let go of is offense. Yeah, and when we refuse to let go of offense, that leads to unforgiveness, y'all. Right. Yeah. That's a sin. And that creates a chasm between us and God. That's a separation. Sin separates us from God. That's why Jesus came to break that chasm. Look at Mark 11:25 says, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive you of your sin. This verse tells us we can't hold back forgiveness. We can't hold on to unforgiveness because that separates us from God. That's a sin. And that's why we need Jesus. He bridges the gap and he bridges the gap through what forgiveness. Do you see that connection? He forgives our sins. A poverty mentality will block you from giving others forgiveness when they've hurt you. And it's because you think forgiving them is going to take something away from you. Think about that for a second. You don't forgive because you think it's going to, you're going to have to give up something, right? It's almost as if we want to hold on to the hurt that they caused us. Because if we let it go, then we're not going to have anything, right? No revenge. They got off scot-free. You're left with nothing. But you know what? Let me tell you something. You do still have something when you hold on to offense. You have unforgiveness in your heart. And there's nothing of value in that, y'all. Nothing of value in holding on to unforgiveness. God wants to bless you richly. It is his nature. He wants to bless you richly, but we have to let go of some things in order for that to happen. It's the law of sowing and reaping. When you sow seeds of mercy and grace and you forgive those who have hurt you, then God will bring a harvest of mercy and grace into your life. I have lived that out personally. When you need mercy, God will make sure you have it. You know, you may need help paying this bill. This bill came in. You don't know what to do with it. You need some mercy. You know, so you you go and you you call up the company and you say, Hey, you know, I'm gonna I want to make some, some uh, arrangements to pay this debt off because I just can't pay it all. They go and look in the computer and they look up and they say, uh, Excuse me, I don't see that you owe anything. That's mercy. That's God paying that bill. He's done it for me. He can do it for you. That is a fact. That can happen. He is well able of doing that. That's mercy. You sow seeds of mercy. It comes back to you. And you don't know how it's going to come back to you, but it's going to come back to you. Or maybe you've applied for this job. There's this job and you really want it and you've applied for it. You're totally qualified for it. You've applied for it several times. They never call you, never call you. You start sowing more seeds of grace and mercy and goodness. And then all of a sudden, God will make sure your application rises to the top of the stack. That's how he works. It doesn't always look like what we think it's going to look like. And it may not look like what we sowed, but it will come back to you. That's the way God works. That's his economy. God is a generous God. He wants to lavish his kids with blessings. And the first thing he wants to lavish us with is salvation. Salvation. Look at Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 32. I love this story because this is the most amazing display of forgiveness in the middle of torture and pain. This is when Jesus showed us what forgiveness looks like while he was being crucified. And I want you to picture it. Jesus was completely innocent, never sinned a day in his life, not as a child, not ever, never. And he is literally hanging on a cross. Between two known criminals being killed for something he never did. It says in Luke two twenty three, it says he was hanging between two known criminals. And I don't think that we truly understand Exactly what was going on there. I mean, you might have seen a movie where you've seen a story of the crucifixion and, you know, you see Jesus up high on this, this cross and maybe you see the two criminals there. But that doesn't tell the whole story, y'all. Actually, there's a lot of artistic liberalism in those movies. Because here's the deal. A crucifixion was expensive, so they weren't done all the time. They reserved those for the worst of the worst criminals. It was expensive to do a crucifixion. And not only that, it was meant to be extreme punishment, kind of like the death penalty. Well, it was a death penalty, but it was a torturous death penalty. And it was a humiliating death penalty because here's the deal. First of all, let me tell you, did you know that that word excruciating, as in excruciating pain, that actually comes from the Latin root for the word crucifixion? That's what we're talking about here. They'd have these big nails that looked like those railroad spikes, and they would drive them through the criminal's hands and their feet. Can you imagine that? You have all these little bones in your hands, and they put these big nails through your hands and your feet, and that's what's supposed to hold you up somehow on this wooden cross. And here's the thing. It wasn't up high like they show in the movies. It was eye level, y'all. It was eye level. It was just high enough so these people would have to literally hang by their hands and their feet, that's torture. This is what was going on, and not only that, they were eye level, remember? So when people would walk by and see them, they would spit on them, they would cups at them, hurl curses at them, humiliate them, mock them. This is what Jesus went through for us. That was for us. And you know what? In the middle of his pain. His humiliation, his suffering, his mocking. I mean, one of the criminals next to him said, oh, oh, hail king of the Jews. You saved other people. Save yourself. He was making fun of him. And in the middle of the worst display of humanity, humanity at their very worst, Jesus went through all of that for them, for the ones who were hurting him. And you know what? You know what he did? He wasn't angry. He wasn't bitter. He wasn't mad. He prayed the most amazing prayer. He prayed the most amazing prayer. He looked up at heaven and he said, father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing in the middle of his humiliation, torture, torment. Jesus asked God to forgive the very people who were doing that to him. He asked them, He asked God to forgive them for something that seemed utterly unforgivable, and He did it so that you and I, number one, could receive it and be forgiven, and that so that we would know how to let go of offense, hurt, unforgiveness, and be free. To be free to live with an attitude of generosity, generously forgiving those who have hurt us. Jesus gave us a model for how to do it. You know, I know, I know that there's some people here today and some of us are carrying deep wounds, deep pain, deep hurt, betrayal, loss. I know that. You know, I just... I want you to bow your heads. I want to do things a little different. I want you to bow your heads and just close your eyes and just listen to my words. Some of you here, you're carrying deep wounds. Maybe it was an abuse. Maybe it was verbal, physical, maybe sexual abuse. Somebody hurt you. They took advantage of you. They tricked you. Or maybe they hurt somebody you love. Maybe it was one of your children or your brother or your sister. There are people here who have been hurt deeply. Maybe somebody who's not even alive anymore hurt you. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe they abandoned you, rejected you, and you never got that right with them. And they're gone now. You're holding on to unforgiveness. And maybe there's somebody here who's got a grudge against somebody. You know, maybe you're, you're holding on to an offense. They, they said something a long time ago or they did something and it rubbed you wrong. And, and now every time you get around them, you just can't stand it. It's like nails on the chalkboard. If that's you, if you are holding on to some kind of pain or unforgiveness, we need to let that go right here and right now. I want to pray to God. And I want to include this. If something has happened in your life, And you're mad at God. You're blaming God. God, why did this happen? Why didn't you stop it? Why haven't you fixed it? If that's you, that's okay. First of all, that's okay. God knows. He already knows. There's nothing that we think or feel or say or do that God does not know. It's okay. He can handle that. He can handle it. But you know what, friend? He wants to set you free from it. And even... If you've done something and you don't think you can be forgiven, you're living with shame and regret. Maybe you made a bad decision, a bad choice. I don't know what it is, but if that's you, if you can't even forgive yourself, we're going to leave that right now at the feet of Jesus. I want to pray for us. I want to pray for us because we need to let go of that. We need to let go of offense and unforgiveness because it's blocking the work that God wants to do. In our lives and Jesus showed us how we could do it when He hung on that cross and He forgave the people who were torturing Him. I want to pray for us, Heavenly Father. I just pray right now that you do a work in the hearts that are hurting here in this room right now, Lord. I pray, God, that you bring healing. Let your love just flow through those broken, hurting areas right now, God. In the name of Jesus, I ask you to just let your healing flow. Restore, Lord, restore what was taken. Restore what the devil used someone else to steal from them, Lord restore to them, Lord, minimum double. That's what your word says, God. And that's what, that's all we got, God. That's all we got to stand on is your word. And we trust you, Lord. So I'm asking you right now, Lord, restore what was stolen from them. If it was innocence, if it was finances, if it was time that they don't think they can get back, God, you can restore, you can turn back the hands of time. You did it before you can do it again, Lord. I'm asking you to redeem and restore whatever they lost in that moment moment, in that time, whatever happened to them, Lord, you were there, you saw it all. God, I ask you to bring healing and just flow through them right now in their minds, restore them to their right mind in that area, knowing that what happened to them, whether it was their fault or someone else's fault, God, you can fix it. You can bring them back to who you originally created them to be. Lord, let them know that. Father God, let them know that. And I thank you now for the work that you're starting. And I bless them in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.